Welcome to the rant. It's been a while. I will explain why at the beginning of the show. I'm also going to talk about Ocasio-Cortez and the so-called code switching incident. I read an article in the Huffington Post that blew my mind. It will probably blow your mind also. And um, I'm going to talk about the restaurant owner in New York who is being accused of racism for just the most ridiculous reasons. And if I have some time after that, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Ilhan Omar and Ocasio-Cortez because what's happening on the left is is insane. People have been talking about that for a long time because it's been happening for a long time, but it's getting a lot worse, as you guys all know. So let's talk about that. All right, here comes the theme song. I'll be back in a minute. What about the theme song? Everybody loves the theme song, I hope. And if you don't, I don't care because I love the theme song. You should love the theme song. I've thought about quitting the uh, podcast, but I can't because the podcast is merely the vehicle to bring the theme song to the people. Okay, so I said earlier in the intro that I haven't done this in a while and I would explain why. So let me let me try and do this quickly. I use a platform called Anchor.fm for these podcasts. And I started out by using their phone app for the iPhone. And I'd always wanted to do radio and that never really materialized. I've done a little bit of radio, but not much. And so when podcasting happened, I thought, ha here's my chance. And I never really did anything about it, to be honest with you. And then I thought, you know, I want to get a podcast started. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on equipment. So Anchor.fm has this, this app for the iPhone and it works pretty well. But if you use your phone, the sound quality is going to suffer. And I wanted the podcast to sound professional. So... I switched their desktop application and the desktop application bizarrely doesn't have feature parity with the phone app, which that alone is an indication that they're not really that serious about this because it would be easy to achieve feature parity between the two. And so they didn't do that, but but that wasn't that wasn't the, the killer for me. The killer was that I don't script the show, so everything is off the top of my head. Sometimes the segments can be 30, 35 minutes long. And on Anchor.fm, often, and I mean often, you'll record a segment, hit stop, because that's how you stop recording, obviously, and it would just disappear, go into the ether. And that's unacceptable. And I contacted their technical support several times. They told me they were aware of the problem. They were working on it. Well, they've been working on it for a long time. Uh, when I when I took a break, they'd been working on it for um, several months, and now they've been working on it for exponentially more months and the problem is the same and so do, do not use anchor.fm at all uh, my regular listeners will know that i was doing commercials for them because when you get to a certain point they'll allow you to do commercials and they start you off with a commercial for them and because i wanted to give them a chance i was doing that commercial so every time a listener listened to the commercial i got paid but I'm not going to do commercials for them anymore because their product is awful. I don't believe in it. Now I'm using Audacity. I am using Anchor. To be fair, I'm using Anchor.fm because they do a good job of um, 
disseminating your podcast to different platforms, but I will not use them to record and I will not do commercials for them. So I'm recording it on Audacity, who I do not get paid to do commercials for, and uploading it to Anchor.fm. So that, that's that's why I took the break. I just, I, I couldn't take it anymore and I wasn't really, um, well, let's just say it was, I could take it. I just, I, it was depressing, man. I, I kept doing these podcast segments. And often I would think they were pretty good and they'd get deleted. So I, I took a break and the break turned into a longer break than I'd anticipated. Okay, so let's talk about Ocasio-Cortez. So you guys all know, you heard about her little show she put on at Al Sharpton's uh, little event where all the Democratic presidential candidates and people like Ocasio-Cortez came hat in hand to pay fealty to the great Al Sharpton, never mind that he's a tax-evading, murderous, race-baiting scumbag. They wouldn't appear at APAC, but every single one of them appeared to, you know, beg for the approval of, of, of Al, who's, who's literally one of the most disgusting human beings on the face of the planet, although Ilhan Omar is giving him a very tough run for his money in that regard. But anyway, so they, they, they appeared at his little thing, and, and Ocasio-Cortez pulled a Hillary Clinton. She started speaking bizarrely in this pseudo-black accent that she had never used before. And, you know, that chick, she talks a lot. So we've heard a lot of yammering from her. She's only been in Congress for a few months, but she's done more yammering in a few months than some Congress people used to do in, in their entire careers. So she's out there yammering constantly. So we know that she doesn't speak that way. At least we haven't heard her speak that way. And, and she's so lame because she's one of those people, she's a compulsive liar, but she's not good at it, which is a double offense. It's doubly as offensive. Lying is bad enough, but you're not even good at it. So why are, why are you even trying? But Ryan Savader, who's an excellent reporter, mostly for the Daily Wire, he criticized her for what a lot of people were calling verbal blackface. And she, she went at this whole thing because she's so defensive and petty and small about how that's just the way she speaks. And she actually named several speeches in which she had spoken that way. So the only problem is she hadn't. And those speeches are all public records. So Ryan Savedra looked them up, put them on Twitter, and tweeted back to her and said, here they are. You do not speak that way. You're lying. So being the mature adult, uh, whatever that she is, she blocked him. A sitting congresswoman blocked a reporter. Now, nobody picked up on that in the press, but say what you will about President Trump, but he doesn't actually block people. I'm not sure if he's allowed to, but she's a sitting congresswoman. She blocked a reporter because she didn't like what he was saying. What he was saying was true. And it was obviously true because she made a claim that was false and he proved that she was false. Had she been a grown-up, she would have said, you know, you got me, I, I'm 28, 29, whatever she is. That's that's 14 in bartender years and so I don't really know what I'm doing yet and sort of, you know, sort of like Uncle Leo in Seinfeld when he got caught stealing a book. He said, Jerry, we all do it. And Jerry said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, we, we pull the old card. We, we, we walk around in a daze where I'm old. I don't know what I'm doing. She could have done the reverse Uncle Leo and, and claimed that it was because she was young. Okay, so this guy who's a jackass named John McWorth, McWhorter, 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 wrote an article. I misspoke before. It wasn't Huffington Post. It was The Atlantic. I used to have some respect for The Atlantic because I felt like even though they leaned left, they were serious people and they were writing articles for people who think and, and like many... Uh, platforms that 
were formerly somewhat cerebral and intellectually honest, even if you disagreed with them, and um, who had long histories of, of being respected, have just crumbled into a pile of crap. So this guy, who's a, shockingly, he's a professor at Columbia University, who could have seen that coming, he, uh, he wrote this article called It Wasn't Verbal Blackface. AOC was code switching. Now, code switching is when you switch from one language to another. It's not when you are speaking English the way you normally speak English and then you you suddenly turn into you know a character from Song of the South. And not, not well rendered, by the way. That's not code switching. So from the get-go, this guy's making excuses for her. And then the subhead is, her critics are misreading the linguistic reality of America's big cities. So you already know, this is going to be another one of those rah-rah diversity, um, you know, another case of their selective appreciation of uh, different ways of doing things. And it's just, it's so aggravating. And you'll see from this article. So let, let me begin. So it says, Representative Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been accused of a lot, but the latest charge is especially piquant. I hope I pronounced that word correctly. Apparently, the new representative of some of the most multi-ethnic neighborhoods in the United States has engaged in verbal blackface. And, you know, I'll, I'll point out something here right away. So New York City has always been multi-ethnic, always, always, always. And yet, we've never seen this before from a member of the House of Representatives. So already... I feel that this person is being disingenuous. <laughs> so then he goes on to say, the supposed offense occurred when she spoke to the Reverend Al Sharpton's National Action Network last week. Network last week. So I'm going to stop here for a second. If he's a reverend, I'm going to start calling pretty much anything a reverend. My keychain, that could be a reverend. The crap on the bottom of my shoe, that's a reverend. Some guys robbed a bank recently here in LA. It happens all the time. They're reverends. I mean, why not? If you're going to throw the word around for somebody like this, then why not call everybody a reverend? And I'm sure because my audience is well-informed, you guys know what I'm talking about when I say that Al Sharpton, he has a long, long, long record of malfeasance. This guy should be in prison. Okay, so he goes on to say, um, yeah, sorry, I lost my place. You can see this is not a professional podcast because I would edit that right out, but I do this late at night and I'm not going to edit it out. Okay, National National Action Network last week and sprinkled some elements of black English into her speech. And you'll see throughout this, he likes to use the word sprinkled. He's a sprinkly kind of guy, this professor at Columbia. I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that, she said, also stretching wrong out a bit and intoning in a way sometimes referred to as a drawl, but which is also part of the Black English Toolkit. Now, I'm not going to try and attempt to do the Ocasio-Cortez accent because it was hard enough to listen to it the first time around. You guys don't need to have me trying to copy it, layered on top. And also, I know you've already all heard this before. But I love the way this guy, he calls it Black English. Remember when it was Ebonics? But now they're just going to straight up, to use, I think, a, a term that originated in Black English. A Black English, uh, they're, they're going to just say that it's English. The whole Ebonics thing, not anymore. It's it's just another format um, for English, which is really aggravating to me because English, much like Spanish, Espanol, is a European language. 
So English and Spanish are both European. And I, I never get this thing about how, you know, somehow it's racist for people to demand that other people speak English. It's something that binds us together, as does the proper pronunciation of English and proper grammar. It, it binds us together because we're all communicating in the same way. So this idea that it's somehow racist to favor Sp uh, English in, in favor of Spanish is ridiculous because Spanish, too, is also a European language. You know, when they talk about Latina, Latino, Latin, also European. And in fact, the largest European ethnic group in the United States are not people who are English from England. It's German-Americans. And that's been the case throughout almost all of the country's history. So all of us, for the most part, have ancestors that did not speak English. Mine certainly did not. And it doesn't matter what the language is, but we need a national language to bind us together, especially in the United States, because we're, we are a melting pot. And so language becomes a way for us to rise above our differences and communicate with each other. And it's important that we do that in as much the same way as we can. Now, I like regional differences in the country. I think it is part of the fabric of the United States. I, I like the Southern accent. I like the New York accent. I like the Brooklyn accent. Not a big fan of the Chicago accent. Sorry, sorry, Midwesterners. I'm from Los Angeles. Growing up, I thought we did not have an accent. Turns out I was wrong. Ocasio-Cortez herself speaks, her normal way of speaking is in a Valley Girl accent, which originated here in Southern California, in the San Fernando Valley, actually, where I grew up. And that's called up-talking. Nobody ever accuses her of cultural appropriation because of that. Somehow, that's okay. Uh, in my opinion, People speak that way sound like morons, and I'm speaking about something from my own culture. But anyway, okay, let, let's go on. So he says, John Cardillo, Cardillo of Newsmax tweeted, In case you're wondering, this is what blackface sounds like, while Ryan Saavedra of The Daily Wire charged. I, I love that. It's such a little word. He charged. He, he, didn't, he didn't say he, he charged. So serious. He charged that Ocasio-Cortez in the speech speaks in an accent that she never uses. Now, that's all he says about this. He fails to mention, he neglects to mention that Ryan Saavedra proved that she never uses it because the examples that she herself gave of her using it don't contain instances of her using that accent. So she lied. The lie is right there. Ryan Saavedra proved the lie. This guy references, I mean, that, that's gutsy, right? He references the lie. Or he references the person who proved the lie without even explaining that he proved the lie. So obviously, that takes chutzpah, but also, if he's not willing to confront the facts that Ryan Svedra put forward, he's completely intellectually dishonest, and he, this guy's a, a liar. He's a dishonest, intellectually dishonest, and otherwise person. Then he says, Lawrence Jones, a Fox News contributor and black American, shared... A Twitter hashtag, we don't talk like that. Interesting that he didn't call him African-American here. I wonder why that was. Lawrence Jones, by the way, is a, um, he's a libertarian. He's not a Republican. But he was all over the news too last week because it had his own run-in with Ocasio-Cortez's horde of idiots. The criticism of these sentences uttered by someone trying to connect with a black audience is evidence of an ignorance about the nature and use of one of the most interesting developments in America's linguistic history an endlessly fascinating dialect too often treated as a collection of mistakes, an albatross condemning unlucky people to failure, some kind of performance. Now, 
Let me just say, you probably already thought of this. How patronizing is that? How patronizing is that? It's not the content of her words that allowed her to connect with her audience, but it's it's using this fake accent. So that's horribly insulting to black people that um, somebody has to use a, a fake accent or any accent at all to connect with them. I'm Jewish. If a crowd, and this has happened before, if somebody got in front of a crowd that I was in and, and started talking at kvetching and kvelling and all the stereotypical Jewish stuff, I'd be furious. I'd be furious. Talk to me like I'm an intelligent person and I will treat you with respect. Don't talk to me like I'm an idiot. Um, you know, you don't have to use stereotypical Yiddish words for me to understand your point. I, I hate it when people do that. And, and this guy's claiming, and again, professor at Columbia University, is claiming that this is the way to connect with an audience. It's sick. At a time when increasing numbers of serious public figures are going to be using black English as an element in their oratorical palette, it's so pretentious, this guy. It's time we wised up on the likes of ain't nothing wrong with that. So is that really the country we want? We, we want people to use the word ain't as some sort of badge of honor that you come from a place where you're using the endlessly fascinating palette? That, that's ridiculous. It, it's not admirable to use poor English. And, and not only that, He's kind of contradicting himself because on the one hand, he's saying she's trying to connect by using it. But on the other hand, he's saying it's just part of this, this palette, an oratorical palette. Which is it? Is, is it? is it a way to connect with people that won't understand you unless you use that, their language in quotes? Or is it part of an oratorical palette? And if it is, why is it necessary to use poor English for that palette? In other words, people... The, one of the points of education used to be that the, the, the more developed your vocabulary was, the more able you were to communicate with people effectively, right? Because the more words you know, the more effectively you can communicate those words. But you need an audience that understands those words as well. So it's, it's depressing to me that this guy has such low expectations for people. Then he goes on to say, Ocasio-Cortez was engaging in what linguists call code switching. Few find code switching surprising when Latinos do it between English and Spanish. That's actually literally what code switching is when you switch between two languages. Alternating between the two languages within a single conversation or even sentence. The concept perhaps seems less familiar when done between dialects of the same language. But this too is extremely common. Really? Is it extremely common to make up the accent? To switch back and forth. For example, what an unfortunate number of Americans think of as black people slipping into errors when they speak is, in the scientific sense, buddy, this has nothing to do with science, uh, people code switching between standard and black English, the latter of which is an alternative and not degraded form of English. So can I just make up words? Where, where does English become degraded? How many people have to use it? Five, ten, a hundred, a thousand? So you can just use any variation of English and then claim it's, you know, it's just a, 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 a variation. It's also standard. It's a variation. 
It's so insane. And again, it, it's the thing that the left loves to do, to divide us into little tribes. You have your English, I have my English, the other guy over there, he's got his own English. We can't understand what he's saying, but it's cool because we slap the word English on at the end of it. Ocasio-Cortez's critics seem to assume that since she's not black, her use of black English must be some kind of an act. No, you, you idiot. People don't assume that. They know that because there is no record at all of her ever speaking this way publicly, including the examples that she gave herself. So at the very least, this person, I'm being nice, should acknowledge that she lied about this. This, however, is based on a major misreading of the linguistic reality of Latinos in America's big cities. Since the 1950s, long-term and intense contact between black and Latino people and urban neighborhoods has created a large overlap between black English and, for example, New York in English, the dialect of New York's Puerto Rican community. To a considerable extent, Latinos now speak Ebonics just as black people do. I wonder how many Latinos would acknowledge that or say that's true, but okay. Using the same slang and constructions, code switching between it and standard English and Spanish in the same ways. Hakuna Matata, man, hooray. It's un unbelievable. This means that Ocasio-Cortez as a Latina, again, European, was not using a dialect foreign to her experience. She grew up around it. No, she didn't. She did not grow up in the Bronx. This has been demonstrated over and over and over again. I love the way the left covers up their their leaders lies with more lies. There, there is no amount of lying that they're not happy to do to push their narrative. She says she grew up around it. It would be surprising if she did not have it in her repertoire to some extent. Ocasio-Cortez herself said, I'm from the Bronx. I act and talk like it. You're not from the Bronx. Anyone who would repost that she didn't isn't from the black Bronx in particular wouldn't miss that black English stopped being a black exclusive dialect in the Bronx decades ago. Except again, not from the Bronx. She is not from the Bronx. She lived in the Bronx for a while when she was a little girl, and then she moved out, and she didn't move back again until 2016. She also lied about going to school in the Bronx. When it was proven that she didn't live there for most of her life, she claimed that she, was, she went there daily for school. Then somebody did some good reporting and found out that New York City won't allow you to live in one school district and attend another school in another school district. So that was another lie. The dust-up also reflects another misimpression about black English, that only uneducated people can be considered authentic in using it. This partly reflects a sense that black English is a mere matter of grammatical flubs, a legacy of inadequate education. That analysis of black English has been resoundingly refuted by shelves and shelves of research by linguists. What, like this guy? All right. Yet even someone who acknowledges that black English is not broken language might suppose that it is rooted solely in being black and roughly poor. Now, again, he's completely contradicting himself because, or at least contradicting the left-wing narrative because on the one hand, we hear all the time that blacks historically, and this is true, didn't have the same access to education as whites, certainly not to higher education and education in general, and therefore they were poor and they were... Um, diminished and were not able to fully enter society for a variety of reasons, including their lack of education. That was one of the tools of the Jim Crow South, was to not let blacks become educated and put barriers up in front of education. So that is the reason, in part, why that dialect developed. And also, it's the same reason why poor whites developed dialects like this. The aspiration was always to be better than that, because it is an indication of 
poor education. Now, I know that it becomes traditional to sort of use elements of that sort of dialect, whether you're, again, Jewish, Italian, black, whatever. But this idea that it doesn't come from a place of being poor and poorly educated is insane. So again, he's a liar. President Barack Obama, for example, came in for much criticism, some from black people, for using some black English when speaking to black audiences. His critics assumed that because he was an educated person, Obama's black English could not possibly be authentic, in quotes, and was therefore condescending. No, you jackass, you're not condescending your whole audience. It's con it was condescending because he wasn't, and again, he's contradicting himself. Maybe that is why they thought it was condescending, because he's well-educated, but more to the point, he was from Hawaii. He grew up as far away from the Bronx as possible in Hawaii. Now, I get it. You know, people speak black English or Ebonics or whatever you want to call it in other parts of the country, but it's not common in Honolulu so his, or Hawaii, where Obama went to one of the most exclusive prep schools on planet Earth, and his family was rich. So if you want to argue that Ocasio... Cortez speaks this way because she grew up in the Bronx where Latinos rub shoulders with blacks. How do you explain Barack Obama doing it? He grew up in Hawaii. Not around people who spoke this way. If anything, he should be speaking pidgin English. I'd love to hear that. It's, it's unreal. I mean, every paragraph contains, and this is typical in the Atlantic, the Huffington Post slate, every paragraph contains something that's either a contradiction to something else said earlier or a flat-out lie or something that just doesn't add up, something that is illogical. He goes on to say, however, poor black people are by no means the only ones who code switch into black English. Worldwide, people code switch into non-standard dialects as part of the general palette, he loves that word, I don't know why, of human expression. The non-standard dialect can connote warmth, surprise, angler, flirtation, intimacy. Obama and Ocasio-Cortez are no less authentic in their use of black English than people such as Cornel West uh, another scumbag, by the way. And Keegan-Michael Key, educated black people who code switch constantly and beautifully. I, I love the way it's beautiful. A anything they like, President Trump does this too, to be fair, is beautiful. And the thing is, is could it be that Cornell West and Keegan-Michael Key, I'm not sure who Keegan-Michael Key is, full disclosure, but I know who Cornell West is. Could it be that they do this because they're pandering, because they, they feel the need to be seen as authentic? Could that possibly be that, that they feel most comfortable not speaking this way because they're educated, but they have to. Anyway, he goes on and on and on, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the segment, but I just want to read the last paragraph because it's it's the the one that just uh, is mind blowing. He says public language in America is becoming less formal practically by the week. And keep in mind, for this guy, that's a good thing. He's happy about that. And black English is increasingly a lingua franca among American youth. In our era, as politicians are minted, whose only memories of the 20th century were formed as small children, we will hear ever more use of black English in public with its warm, demotic flavor. Ooh, so warm. It would be too easy to end this piece with ain't nothing wrong with that, and so I won't, except actually, I suppose I just did. Ha, 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 so clever. So... He's saying that increasingly people who are going to be the leaders of our country 
and, and guide it and guide its social practices and our, our politics and our economy and everything else are going to be speaking this way. And he doesn't see a problem with that. He doesn't see a problem with people speaking in a way that, whether you like it or not, is considered an indication that somebody's not well-educated. But more importantly, like I said before, do we really want to live in a country where everybody is speaking their own dialect? I mean, it's such BS that he's talking about how it's warm, demotic flavor. I, it, it, maybe it is, but, but you know what? Everybody, because we're a melting pot, everyone has that as part of their ethnic background. And when does it just lapse into caricature? Am I then expected to, like I said before, throw in the oives and cavelling and all of that stuff? Now, if I'm at a family's house for Shabbat and the family uses Yiddish, I, I do find it warm and I do find it, to be fair, I do find it warm. I do find it nostalgic. I, I, I like it, but I, I don't want the country to fall into a, a, uh, a place where we're all speaking that way and trying to attempt to invoke these cliches it, the whole thing is absurd but you get the idea the left is absurd so that totally makes sense okay next segment all right let's talk about a restaurant that just opened in new york called lucky leads actually before i get to that i'd love to have some feedback about the podcast i i um had a lull but i know that now i have um far more followers on Twitter than I had before and hopefully more listeners in general to the podcast. So I'd love some feedback. Uh, you can reach me at the rant 14 on Twitter. And if you like what I have to say, you can be like, good job, rant. I like that. If you don't like it, you can tell me that too. Any feedback's good. If you have constructive criticism, also good. Um, you can also find me on a social media platform called mop two M O P T U. Um, it's social media for articles. It's social media for smart people or people who read. Those tend to be the same thing often, people who read about anything. And you can find me there at moptu.com, mop2.com forward slash the rant. I like to support these guys because they're frankly the only social media platform on planet Earth not owned by leftists. So we should support them. It's a little bit... Um, Let's say, well, they're, they're a startup and, and it could be, the site could be a little bit fancier, but it's run by two guys with minimal resources and I know they're doing the best they can, so support them. Okay, so let's talk about Lucky Lee's. Lucky Lee's is a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant that just opened in New York City. And the idea was opened by Ariel Haspel and the idea was that this restaurant was going to be a healthier alternative for Chinese food. All right, so of course, for the always so tolerant, Leftists, they're upset about this because why? Because saying that it's healthy Chinese food implies that before this restaurant, for the entire the entirety of the history of the Chinese people, there were no healthy Chinese alternatives. Of course there have been. And also they're upset because in, in their little tiny minds, they think that saying that this is a healthy Chinese restaurant is impugning all Chinese food before this. And so of course they're now claiming that all Chinese food was amazingly healthy before. Lucky Lee's, or at least that that's what Ariel Haspel is trying to say that. And of course, she's not. So there was a good article about this. There were several articles, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but the only decent article I could find that was objective was in the Daily Wire. And the headline is SJWs, which is Social Justice Warriors, Savage Young Female Entrepreneur for Opening Chinese Restaurant While White? 
quote from one of the fine, fine, fine leftists. I hate this C word, which is not spelled out in the headline, which already, you know, obviously, I, I think, uh, I think it's obvious. One of the things that we already know is that this is a young female entrepreneur. If she was a leftist, or at least doing something that the left approved of, they'd be all over this. And they'd be talking about how great it is that she's opening a Chinese restaurant because of diversity and intersectionality and blah, 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 blah. They'd be going on and on about how fantastic it is that she's embracing another culture. So these articles by Amanda Prestigiacomo. It starts out by saying, a young mother in New York City has been targeted by left-wing social justice activists for daring to open a Chinese restaurant while being white. Now, I got a lot of flack on Twitter just for the headline because all they need to see is social justice warriors and uh, the word white and, and, and they go nuts and the word Chinese. And, and so, you know, must be must be about racism because on the left, what is it about racism? Everything is, obviously. That's the only thing. That, that's their go-to for everything. It's the all-purpose argument for the left, and it's the only purpose they have is to divide and conquer. Anyway, okay. Activists have accused Ariel Haspel of being culturally insensitive for naming her restaurant Lucky Lee's and for suggesting her food is conducive for those seeking so-called clean eating. Now, when I first heard about the story, they talked a lot about how upset they were because Lee is a Chinese-sounding name and they thought it was stereotypical, like opening a deli called Goldblatt's. As though there have been no Jewish people named Goldblatt. Of course there have been. But as it turns out, Ariel Haspel's husband's name is Lee. So, and I believe he's the chef. So Lucky Lee's is named after her husband. His name is Lee. It has nothing to do with an Asian stereotype. But the SJWs don't take the time to find out about that because they, they you know, their motto is let's get outraged first and we'll ask questions later, only they never ask questions. Now the clean eating thing, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't really stay hip to all the food trends. So I hadn't realized that clean eating is now basically a, a synonym for organic and natural and you know, food, healthier food with no artificial ingredients, all that stuff. Okay, so it says, however, such criticisms don't exactly hold up. For starters, the eatery is named after Haspel's husband, whose first name is Lee, like I just said. And as far as the young entrepreneur allegedly stereotyping Americanized Chinese food as greasy and healthy, the trendy concept of clean eating touches all cuisines, as noted at length by Haspel. And there's a, a, a picture of her from Instagram where she talks about this. And she says, opening on Monday, after four years of recipe tasting, schlepping grocery bags, which gives you a little bit of a hint about the hypocrisy of labeling her a white woman, but okay, schlepping, we'll get to that. Don't, don't worry, my fair listeners, we will get to that. Schlepping grocery bags to and from client cooking classes, tasting way too many versions of sesame chicken in my hands, smelling of ginger and garlic, and waking up at 3 a.m. with nightmares about chopsticks. I'm excited to share this new venture and for you to experience the Lucky Lee's magic. May this restaurant give you that crispy, sweet, and yummy food that you crave and a vibrant atmosphere that makes you feel uplifted with ingredients that make you feel great. Grateful for an incredible team of work chefs, dishwashers, cashiers, architects, interior designers, florists, fabricators, plumbers, engineers, lighting designers, external... Okay, it's a long list. It goes on and on. And then it says, feeling lucky, see you soon, New York City. 
All right, so she's a young woman opening a restaurant. Very exciting. Sounds like a good idea. I actually stopped eating Chinese food years ago because um, for a bunch of reasons. One is because I, I don't eat pork and shellfish, so uh, I had to go the kosher alternative for Chinese food, but also because most Chinese food is... And, and again, you know, I, I feel like I have to point this out for the overly sensitive left-wingers. When I'm saying Chinese food, I'm talking about American Chinese food, which is essentially American food, because I'm going to get to this, but we come here, it's a melting pot. There's not a single ethnic food that hasn't become Americanized, which is a good thing. So when I say Chinese food, I'm talking about American food, right? The Chinese, the American version of Chinese food. And, and it is typically greasy, and oily and it does make you you know you do feel a little bit you don't feel great afterwards and i'm going to get accused of asian stereotyping here but it's why i love japanese food japanese food you don't feel that way afterwards especially with sushi and i've had chinese food in china and i've had japanese food in japan and so i've had the authentic versions and i've had the americanized versions and japanese food does tend to at least for me leave me feeling healthier and less weighted down after i eat it all right, so let's go back to the article. This is a quote. Oh, I cannot eat. Oh, sorry. Oh, I cannot with Lucky Lee's, this new clean Chinese restaurant that some white wellness blogger just opened up in New York City, posted Brook TV host Mackenzie Fegan. I, I, I'm so sick of the I cannot or the I just can't. Do you know how lazy and stupid that makes you sound? And cloying and just elitist. It's like code for I, I, I'm, I'm some sort of like High school girl, I can't, and I cannot. You cannot what? I just can't what? God, I hate that. I've always hated that. I've always hated sort of that in-crowd, cliched way of speaking. Or I could have just used the word slang, but you know what I mean. So Mackenzie Figan goes on and says, Her blog talks about how Chinese food is usually doused in brown sauces and makes your eyes puffy. Lady, what? It's more slang. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Brook TV host Mackenzie Vegan, it, it, it does. Sorry, that, that's what it does. Another social justice crusader, Bash Haspel, whom she called a stupid B word for naming the restaurant after her white ASS husband. Okay, such, these are such nice people. Aren't these tolerant, loving leftists always so nice? I mean, they talk all the time about how they love diversity. They love open-mindedness. They're so tolerant. They're so unifying. But this is this is the reality of what they are. They're ugly, ugly, ugly people who lie all the time and can't stand it when someone thinks differently than they do. And because they have no actual values, they're always going after these fake, creating these fake controversies to feel better about themselves. They have no problem trashing people and trashing people's lives to make them feel better about themselves. It's a constant, constant, constant series of virtue signaling um, episodes with, with leftists. Somebody else says, I hope her business fails miserably because she thinks flavor is bad for you. The critic posted on Twitter, adding, the stupid B word said its name Lucky Lee's after her white ASS husband named Lee who loves Chinese food. I hate this C word. Nice, right? Such nice people. In a lengthy thread about the business owner's apparently apparent culturally problematic behavior, classical pianist Sharon Sue 
called on white allies to help her take down Lucky Lees. Do you see this? The racism in this? Can you imagine if this was a black family who owned or opened an Italian restaurant and, and, and white people reacted this way or, or non whatever, non whatever it is, conservatives, if people who are non-leftists reacted this way towards a black family opening an Italian restaurant, the rage that wouldn't sue if people acted this way. And, and the reality is, is that a black family did open an Italian restaurant. Nobody on the left would say anything because there's nothing wrong with, with it. And nobody on the right would say anything. It's only when it's a particular, when somebody fills a particular place on the intersectional pyramid, do they do this. And they're completely willing to ruin somebody's life because they wanted to open a healthier alternative Chinese restaurant. Which has been going on for decades, by the way. Since the whole MSG um, scare, or whatever you want to call it. The, the, it turns out MSG is not really bad for you, but it is an artificial ingredient. But since the whole MSG um, thing in the 70s and 80s, there has been a movement towards healthier American Chinese food. Just like there has been with all ethnic foods. But again, I'll get to that in a minute. Somebody else said, so a new Chinese restaurant is opening in NYC, and while I want so badly, all caps, to give it the benefit of the doubt, everything I'm finding out about it is making me go, yikes, 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 all caps, for all three yikes, Sue complained in a series of tweets posted Monday. So she posted a series of tweets because this woman is so important, she needed to impart her opinion about somebody else's business, literally their business, to the world. The pianist continued, mocking Haspel as a xenophobic American lady, ignorant of Asian healthy balanced meals. Now, I don't know if Sharon Sue is American or not. Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. I really don't know. But if she is, I love the condescension of calling Ariel Haspel a American lady, but she's xenophobic because she opened a Chinese restaurant. Again, if this was a leftist opening the same restaurant or an avowed leftist, let's say, um, you know, or somebody of a different ethnicity, they would be talking about how it's the opposite of xenophobia, how it's multicultural, and how it expresses the diversity. Like the article I read about Ocasio-Cortez and black English, they'd be talking about how it's part of the tapestry. It's part of the palette of American flavors. And also, I love the thing about Asian healthy balanced meals. Asia is a continent. There are many, 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 many cultures in Asia. There are many countries, and in those countries, including China, there, there are many different ethnic variations. So to say that there is a single Asian healthy balanced culture, or, or sorry, a single Asian culture that produces healthy balanced meals is ridiculous, and it's a lie. There's not one monolithic Asian culture. That, that's an invention of American leftists. Somebody in Vietnam is eating food that's much different from the food they're eating in Kyoto. It's just, it, it, you know, they talk all the time about things like they're so culturally aware, but they're not aware at all. All right, she goes on to say, Sharon Sue does. I'm trying very hard, all caps for very and hard, not to make assumptions. Obviously, you're not trying that hard, lady. But I guess that the woman launching this is only used to American-style Chinese food. You think, Bing, is this is happening in America? You think? You think maybe that's what's happening? 
which was crafted with high amounts of fat, sugar, and salt to appeal to American palates, which, by the way, is not that bad for you. So I love this. So she has to pretend, or she admits that, that the Chinese food that we eat in America is not traditional Chinese food, so therefore it can't be cultural appropriation or insulting to criticize it. But then on the other hand, she talks about how unhealthy it is, which is exactly what Ariel Haspel was saying. But then on the other hand, she doesn't want to go too far down that path because she just said that all Chinese food is awesome. So she has to add in that it's not that bad for you. These leftists don't think, they do not have functioning minds. They do not use logic. They're not consistent. They're not intellectually consistent. They're just emotional. They're, they're bags of emotions that yammer about things that they do not understand and they don't take the time to understand or think about. All right, Sue goes on. She wrote, adding, I am very doubtful that she's familiar with the many varieties of traditional Chinese cooking. How many Chinese restaurants have you been to that are mindful of the many variations of Chinese cooking? You know, when you go to P.F. Chang's, that's American food that you're eating. That's American Chinese food. It's been modernized, but it's American Chinese food. I love the way she acts that every other Chinese restaurant in history, including those owned by Chinese people, which she doesn't go after, has this, this, this vast palette that represents the entire history of Chinese cuisine. And I got into a few com uh, Twitter conversations today about this with idiots that were reflecting this sort of attitude. She says, a lot of Chinese cooking philosophy is light fat, no sugar, light salt. You know, I, I've had Chinese food, like I said, in, in China before, both in Beijing and Shanghai. The food I had there, I'm sorry, I know this is going to insult people. It was as an American, so I realized the people in China, they love it. I thought it was disgusting. It was infused with sugar. There was a lot of fried food. I, I just thought it was gross. So I, I, when I was there, I basically ate rice and vegetables the entire time, which there's nothing wrong with that. But anything that wasn't rice and vegetables, I, I couldn't eat. And I get it. That that's my American palate. But but this idea that that everybody in China is eating this this healthy diet is insane. Of course, when I said that to somebody on, on Twitter today, and I knew this was going to happen, the woman got irate because she said, I'm a Chinese American. And she wouldn't answer the question when I kept, I kept asking her, have you had Chinese food in China? Because I have. And she wouldn't answer the question, which makes me think she's never been to China. So I'm inauthentic because I'm in quotes white, but she's authentic because she's a Chinese American. But I've had actual Chinese food, which was the thing she's lecturing me about. So unless she has people here preparing the food, for her from China, and they're actually using ingredients that are the only ingredients available in China. She's having some, the food she's eating has some level of Americanization. Okay, so she goes on to say, um, a lot of Chinese cooking philosophies, light fat, no sugar, light salt, with the idea of letting your fresh ingredients shine. This whole Chinese but clean idea is so bad. Do you see Do you see what they always do? They always do the same thing. White people bad, Christians bad, Jews bad, but we're perfect. We're perfect. Palestinians are perfect. Native Americans are perfect. Everybody's perfect except for those evil, 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 whatever group they don't approve of. And now we live in a world where Candace Owens can be a white nationalist, Jews can be called Nazis. They're okay with all of that. They're the most hateful people in the world. Okay, she also took issue with the name of the restaurant. I'm also trying not to gnash my teeth at the name Lucky Lee's. You know, Sharon Sue, her English is pretty good for somebody who was making fun of somebody else for being an American lady. 
So she's trying not to gnash her teeth at the name Lucky Lee is because one, the superficial understanding of luck and fortune in Asian culture is really common among non-Asian Americans for some reason. And Lee is a surname spelling of a lot of Asian immigrants chose when they came over as opposed to Lee, L-I or Lee, L-E, because adopting an American spelling was a way to minimize their Asianness and assimilate into a predominantly white American culture. Does, she, does this idiot have any idea that that happened to basically every single culture that came to the United States? My family's name has been changed twice since we came to America. Does she have any idea that that's common? Whether you're Italian or Jewish or Russian or Polish, that's the way it is for all. I'm so sick of all of these people. It's always millennials and younger people and always leftists that, that act like their experience as immigrants is unique and always at the tippy top of the, the victimhood chain. I was arguing with somebody on Twitter today about this who told me that I need to check my white privilege. Now, as I've mentioned many times, I'm Jewish. So she was Asian. Asians have a higher acceptance rate into elite American universities, higher than the Jewish community does. And Jews are by far the most targeted victims for religiously based hate crimes. We're 2% of the population and 64% of the hate crimes are, are, are target Jews. Not Asians, Jews. And she's telling me to check my privilege. And this is common because they say things like that because they're so emotional and they're so condescending and they're so bigoted. And that's the important one, the last one. They're so bigoted that they say these things and they just they think that, that's the argument because all their little leftist buddies and their, their, their echo chambers back them up on this. And it's the most racist thing in the world. And all these people who go on and on and on about cultural sensitivity are the most insensitive people in the world. Now, so being as I'm already touching on it, I was going to wait for later, but Ariel Haspel and her husband are Jewish. So this whole idea that, that these people are somehow just white people is insane. And like I said earlier, this is the most fair story I could find. The other headlines didn't even question whether this was some sort of form of racism. And apparently, too, all the little minions, the lemmings, the people parroting this narrative are attempting to ruin the restaurant's reputation by leaving bad Yelp reviews. So one headline from Eater New York says, New NYC Chinese restaurant draws swift backlash to racist language. Not, not racist in, in quotes or not even alleged racist language, just racist. They just take it for granted. The minions on the left called it racist, so it's racist. Never mind what it, whether that's true. Never mind what it might do to these people's business. But it's racist. And there were a bunch of articles like that. Time Magazine, a clean, in quotes, Chinese food restaurant in New York, is the latest flashpoint in a debate over cultural appropriation. So, ugh, this makes me angry. Again, if a black family opened a deli, a Jewish deli, you know what I would say? Is the food any good? I, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm talking at a non-Jewish black family because we come in all colors. But nobody in the Jewish community would care. In fact, in LA, in the areas where there are kosher restaurants, many of those kosher restaurants are owned by non-Jews. So this idea that it's cultural appropriation, if you don't belong to the culture that the food is represented by, is absolutely absurd. And I'm thinking there are probably delis 
in restaurants all across the country owned by Asians that are not serving Asian food. Should they be shut down? Should they be targeted? Should we be calling them racist? I go to sushi restaurants all the time, and the sushi chefs are often no longer Japanese, which I find disappointing because somehow to me it feels inauthentic, even though I know that's not logical, but I don't think it's racist. I don't think it's cultural appropriation. You know, again, I live in Los Angeles. There are Latinos who own wide varieties of restaurants in Los Angeles. If I walk into an Italian restaurant and it's owned by a Latino, is that racist? Is he appropriating the culture of the Italians? They, they don't even, I, I don't know if it's that they don't realize how ridiculous this is or if they are just so bigoted, they just don't care. I think they just don't care. I really do. I don't think they care. I think this is what they do. I don't think it matters to them if they ruin lives. All they want is, is it's, they're like drug addicts that need to get their fix of condescension. And the best is BuzzFeed's headline. A white woman's clean Chinese, again in quotes, restaurant is drawing backlash for playing into racist tropes. You know, none of them use the word trope until Ilhan Omar was using anti-Semitic tropes because trope is sort of an old-fashioned word. And, and now suddenly they're all talking at tropes because they want to minimize the Ilhan Omar thing. So yes, I just tied Ilhan Omar to the restaurant, this restaurant controversy, but I, but I mean it seriously. I think those two things are connected. But can you imagine a headline, a black woman's clean Italian restaurant is drawing backlash for playing into racist tropes? Could you imagine that? Could, would that ever happen? And again, she's Jewish. So we're 2% of the population, but she's just a white woman. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And I've, turned, I've talked about this in my podcast before. What does that even mean, a white person? There's people with light skin all over the planet. Is, is it European? Because Jews don't come from Europe, despite what the, the Palestinians like to claim. Except for converts, we all, at some point, originate in the Middle East. Genetics has proven that. It's It's insane. And, and they do it with such ease. It's horrifying. I grew up during the days when we believed that the country was a melting pot. So in other words, people came here. They, 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 they were brought into the melting pot. We assimilated. Not that you had to give up your religion or your ethnic um, identity or your culture, but we, we assimilated. We became Americans. And what, come out, what came out the other end was better. You come in the melting pot as whatever, and you come out of the melting pot after it you know, cooks for a little while, I guess. You come out as an American, which is why we have Chinese food and why we have pizza and why we have delis. You think when you go to a Jewish deli, you think that's really what they were eating in, in Poland in 1890? Of course not. These are all American variations of foreign cuisines. And even in other countries, food is reinvented all the time. There's traditional foods and there's modern variations of the food. And here we live in, again, a melting pot infused with diversity, which they claim they like. So that should be a good thing that everybody is putting their own spin on different types of ethnic food. And, and by the way, is Ariel Haspel only allowed to make bagels and hummus and pita? I mean, what, what if, so you're only allowed to make the food that your ancestors traditionally ate? Because that's what they're saying. That if you leave that box, it's cultural appropriation. 
And again, she goes on and on and on, this idiot Sharon Sue, about how it's, it's, it's cultural appropriation that it was called Lucky Lee's, but Lee is the name of Ariel Haspel's husband, and he's Jewish. What about Lee Majors? There's lots of people named Lee. It's not exclusively an Asian thing, you idiot. And then the article says, Every, ever so reasonably, Sue claimed that even though Haspel's husband name is Lee, it's still a super-duper problematic choice of nomenclature for a Chinese-themed endeavor. Go figure. That's some, that's some great vocabulary for somebody who was criticizing somebody else for being an American. Haspel was also plagued, pla sorry, it's late. Haspel was also plagued by nasty racist comments on her Instagram page. Here are some examples. And here are some examples. How do we cancel you? What the F does Becky know about Chinese food? Because I think they think Becky's like an all-American white name. But Re Becky actually comes from Rebecca, which comes from Rivka, which is a Jewish name. Okay? You, 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 they're so meticulous about cultural everything, but they, they usually know nothing about the cultures that they come from or that they're speaking about. A white person doing Chinese? How boring. This is typical racist trash out of New York City. Out, out, out. The audacity of the caucasity. <laughs> so clever. I hope your business fails. That's, that's original. Because you know the only people coming to your racist ass joint will be white people who can't use chopsticks. And then they go on with some more nonsense. It says, in a comment which seems to have been since deleted from Instagram, Haspel responded to the criticism. And she said, we're sorry to have disappointed some of you. That's never our intention. Our intention is to nourish as many people as possible and make you feel great. Which, you know, that comment came out of good intentions, but they're not going to care. They're racist. These people are no different than the white people in the South who wouldn't let black people eat at the lunch counter. This is the same exact thing. There is no difference. Human, why don't people on the left understand that human nature doesn't change? So it, this is true equality. Equality is good and it's bad. Well, equality is not bad, but, but, but viewing people equally is good and bad. And the bad is that human nature doesn't change. And anybody, no matter how much melanin they have or don't have in their skin, can be a racist. It's power usually that causes racism. And so now that the people who have more power can be racist, they are. I'm obviously not everybody, but, but this idea that if you're black or if you're whatever, you can't, you can't be racist is ridiculous. And there's all these idiot, um, I, I hate this phrase because it doesn't mean anything, but all these idiot white people who think that they're being virtuous somehow by getting extra irate about the, these made-up controversies. So Ariel Haspel's statement went on, she went on to say, the restaurant is named after my husband Lee and his life love, lifelong love for Chinese American Chinese food, which was the inspiration for the restaurant. Now, everybody knows, too, about, about the connection between Jews and Chinese food. It's an old, old stereotype, and many stereotypes are rooted in, in truth. And the Jews in New York traditionally eat a lot of Chinese food. I don't really know why. I'm not from New York. I'm, I'm from Los Angeles. But this is a longstanding thing. I haven't been to New York in a long time, but um, in the old days, you go to Jewish neighborhoods in New York and there would be a lot of Chinese restaurants. So there was this relationship between the Chinese people and Jewish people because Jewish people were a big part of their customer base. But of course, that part of history and culture doesn't matter because they don't care about 
the American culture that's grown up around these things. They only care about their weird view of purity. I mean, you know, they're kind of like the Nazis. They have this very pure vision of, of how their culture should be represented. So she goes on to say, as a certified holistic health coach for the past 10 years, I've been swapping ingredients in many cuisines with the intention of making them accessible to those with specific food allergies, dietary restrictions, and preferences. The term clean eating can mean different things to different people. So it's important to clarify some basic elements that we're referring to. When we refer to clean cooking techniques, we're referencing wholesome food, locally sourced vegetables, organic whenever possible, certified humane animal proteins, non-GMO oils. We're not commenting on anyone else's food, just our own. We love our food and hope you get a chance to try it. You know, these are all things that five seconds ago, the leftist loved. It's amazing too, they, they never stick to anything. That's, that's one reason why I've never had any respect to the left, for the left, even when I was a kid, because, because they have no set of objective values, their opinions change constantly. Their opinions change when, well, their opinions change as fashions change. And a lot of it is, yeah, because, because they're not religious. So the more atheistic they get, the less set their values are. So the more they're free to just twist in the wind with whatever the latest fad is in, in their ideology. And when in human history has that ever worked out well? Ever. And it's no accident that that Socialism is becoming in vogue at the same time that people in America are becoming more and more atheistic. Okay, it's late. Welcome back to the podcast. If you made it through this far, congratulations. I'm exhausted. Um, I've ironed out the technical problems, I think, but let's just say that I've been working on this episode for quite some time. So thanks for listening. Um, find me on Twitter at the Rant 14 or on Mop2 at mop2.com forward slash the rant. Um, and I look forward to hearing from you. And I won't be doing another podcast tomorrow, but I want to start doing this regularly again. So I will be back, I think, on Monday night. So look for a new podcast episode then. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye.